the reality is that it's almost never going to be ideal race like you can't have your best race but there's always going to be something whether it's weather related or ex- other external factors so it's like it's good to just get in that mindset where it's like i'm fit or i'm happy or i'm whatever and i'm just going to go out there and give it a good crack and and let the course and let the race and let the day once i'm out there dictate what what the outcome is going to be don't have that happen before because you know that's why we run the race Welcome to Chill Track Friday. I'm Anne. I'm Ali. And welcome to part two of Pro Turned Recreational Runner with Roberto Mange. We're going to talk to Roberto, continue the conversation where we left off last time, but this time we'll dive into his post-retirement life and what that's been like. We hope you enjoy it. So this podcast is, can we bring it back to the recreational part oh, yeah. of the running? Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I showed up with a skateboard, so I'm not here to get terribly serious. I know. So at what point did you decide to retire? Um, I mean, literally 2016. So this summer will be three years, which is crazy to think about. But um So I guess fast forward, I moved to Colorado to train professionally. I was out there for a total of 10 years, but I was based there and traveled and for part of the year lived in different countries. And anyway, I had a great time, some highs, some lows as as is life, but it was always about me and my sport. And I was single and eventually I met my my future wife. And even then it was still pretty easy because it was just the two of us and she was super supportive. but eventually we moved to Germany, um, 2014, um, and we had our first daughter there, and that started to change the perspective a little bit. I didn't want to be away from home as much, and even sometimes I was a little bit more isolated in northern Germany where I was living, so the running started to become less fun, and I always wanted to run for the pure enjoyment of it, and obviously athletic success it comes with it, but. Um, in northern Germany, I was definitely more isolated. Um, excuse me, and uh, I remember going on for some long runs, uh, including one I, I ran the marathon distance, in and my daughter bringing me my shoes at the door and saying, and as I was, and I thanked her and as I was putting them on, I see her and she's sitting next to me. And she's trying to put on her shoes and she's like, "Papa, I want to come with you," uh, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I just like didn't want to leave. <laughs> but I also had to go do this run right. at a certain pace. or, And I knew I was running a marathon. It was a training run. It was a mm-hmm. long run, but I was covering the marathon distance. So I was like, I'll, I'll be gone like a pot, like three hours or just under three hours. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't, the weather is crummy. I don't really want to go outside. I, I'm not exactly in Colorado running in the mountains where maybe it's my girlfriend waiting for me or nobody at home. It's like my little girl, like I want to play with her. So um, we had a few of those where she would be upset and didn't understand why I had to go and she would cry as I was leaving and I like her even when I was out of sight out of sound like I could still hear her in my head so anyway it started becoming more and more of a job or a chore and Mm -hmm. I was like so I still stuck with it psychologically because physically I was there but um, I just started to not enjoy it. it started to become more of a drag and I was trying the marathon distance for the first time for for the Rio Olympics 
and the marathon is so unforgiving you know unlike the other events i had done previously if you have a good race um great but if you have a poor marathon you can't just say okay i'll take a few days off and i'll try the next weekend like in a 5k or, or or below so um i ran the 2016 rotterdam marathon and i went into it razor fit i ran a few fast half marathons in training um, even on the treadmill I, I ran marathons in training from 245 to 256 so um, i was so fit um and again so isolated out there in northern germany that i remember getting to that start line and just kind of feeling like i just kind of want to get this over with i wasn't as excited i was just like i want to get this marathon over with i want to qualify for the olympics i want to just do it but it was just like there was more just like eh. mm -hmm. so anyway um I cramped up something fierce um, around just before 30k, maybe 25k, and I kept pushing. And it went from qualifying to the Olympics to just finishing to will I make it to the next aid station so I could get help. And long story short, around um, 30k or so, 31k, I can't remember exactly, I ended up in the medical tent and I could barely stand up. I was so cramped up um, in my stomach. I just you know, they had to actually have to lay me down and uh, massage my stomach and I could finally start to breathe again. And and my wife and, and our daughter were down in southern Germany in, in Munich having a great time. And I'm over here in Rotterdam in, in the Netherlands suffering by myself. And I was like, why? I, this is no longer fun. And I, I just want to be with my, I just want to be with my, my family. So anyway, after, after that, I started to give it a, a, some thought because I, I failed at running the marathon standard or even finishing it. And I was like, I took a few days, I took a week, I thought about retiring and I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll take some time and, and, and get on the track. There's still time to qualify for on the track. But I remember going out to the track again in Northern Germany, doing a few workouts where it would go well but then I would just walk off the track or I would show up to the track and just sit there. I'm like, mm, I don't want to do this, you know, or like, it was just like, why am I doing this? Like the weather's crummy. I'm I, again, I'm out here by myself. I don't really, I'm not enjoying it. Um, and I actually ran one workout. I think I did a 2k steeple, um, on the track and five something, five forty something. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like I'm, I'm getting on. I still have some, some pop in my legs, some marathon strength, of course. And and then I was buzzing from that. And then I got home and saw my dad. I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. So mm -hmm. anyway, eventually I just I just called it quits. We found out that we we're going to be having our, our, our second daughter who was born actually here in the U.S. And yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm done. Um, I'm not physically, I'm still there, but mentally I'm just, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this, you know, so... It's interesting hearing you tell the progression of everything where you talk about the idea of being kind to yourself and then looking at your daughter and switching gears, switching priorities, whatever you want to say, and how you, I, we, we train with you. So we see how that's kind of shaped your um, overarching view of what running goals should be and how you instill that or at least try to. Yeah. give it to us which it, it makes yeah. perfect sense it's kind it's of really beautiful valuable. to watch yeah. yeah i guess i'm just not good at faking it you know that's uh, a good thing yeah. i run with my heart yeah. i live with my heart so yeah i, I just said you know, i'm not enjoying it and it was a retirement without maybe 
and Coach Stewart would be happy to hear that it was a retirement without completely shutting the door. Um, maybe it was more of a mental retirement, a psychological one. Um, and as we get closer to 2020, you know, he and a few other people said, hey, why don't you give it a, another go? And, and I honestly, I haven't really entertained it. My wife has asked me here and there, but I feel like I can't fake it. Physically, mm-hmm. I, I feel good. I'm, I'm 25 pounds heavier, um, but it's all muscle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just have to be in it psychologically. And, and I think if I were to have a go at 2020 or any other um, athletic achievement at that level, it would probably be more for my kids' sake, so mm-hmm. they would have a memory. Because that's the only, th- not regret, but that's the only thing I have in my head every now and then. Like, you know, they grow, they'll grow up and they'll know this, and they'll see the photos of the tattoo or whatever. But this such a lifetime ago. I mean, I in two thousand four, I hadn't even met my wife, and obviously, my kids weren't born. So it's like maybe it'd be cool if twenty twenty or something, they would definitely remember that. But it's so much work to get there that mm. I'm not sure I could even commit to that. I, I enjoy what I do right now. How far in advance would you need to train to be able to? I mean, honestly, it, it depends on so many factors, what distance, yeah. you know, or what event and, and making sure that I start to once again, get whittle things down. You know, as I say, I, I skateboarded here. I, I played football this morning or, or soccer and, got a solid kick in my in my ankle that I might be limping a little bit you know those are the sort of things that I, I enjoy and mm-hmm. not the yeah. kick part but I, I enjoy just living as the kids say my best life and I would have to cut so much of that out and and also just start to put a little bit of time away from from the kids and yeah. and go into the park and running certain sessions and so I'm not sure if I want to dip my toe in the water a little bit and see how it feels and then commit mm-hmm. or just dive in or just say you know what that's it but i do feel like if if i am gonna have a, another crack at it by this summer or autumn i would have to commit because i definitely would need to put in some work just to see where i truly am at and then start to put in a proper base and then go through all that and obviously pick an event so yeah well, you could join group training. That will get you there. I hear it's a good thing. So, <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing to hear you say like you didn't. You said and it's not a regret. It's maybe a miss out or like something that can ignite your fire again is to do it for your daughters, uh, to have them be in the stands and watch you do that. And it took me back to Athens, two thousand four, for El Garouge because in one of his interviews he said, you know, his daughter's name I think it was Eva, who was born a few months before. Yeah. during the training cycle for and he's kind of dedicated that race to her and he said I ran for her and I think she was the reason I, I won yeah which was kind of incredible to hear and then I wish I known that I would have done the same thing <laughs> <laughs> adopted a kid just for the Olympics <laughs> <laughs> yeah have someone in these stands like can you hold this baby I'll, I'm just gonna go run the 1500 I just, I just need a foster kid please thank you <laughs> yeah um can we go back for a second? Like, how, how did you meet Molly? Um, I met her at a smoothie shop in Boulder. Um, I just finished a pretty long training run with my training mates, and I was super out of it. Anyway, we walked into the smoothie shop. It was summer. She so was sitting smooth. there. Huh? No, sorry. Oh, yeah. No, so she was sitting there um, with a Kindle. She's a, she's a voracious reader. And I have my, at a tank top, so I have my Olympic tattoo, and I walked in, and she fancied me right away and she asked me uh 
what I thought was relatively silly question. She's like, um, hey, were you in the Olympics? And I got that a lot. And I looked over, I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, what year? And I was like, 2004. I mean, that's all, obviously the listeners at home can say I have the Olympic tattoo on my right shoulder. It has the location and the date. So she's asking me about that. And I'm like, you're reading it. But anyway, um, and I thought she was cute, but honestly, I was super dehydrated and tired. We're just done a, like I said, a long run at eight or 9,000 feet in the mountains. So I just wanted that smoothie. Fast forward a few days later, maybe a week later, I'm with a few of those same guys and some other some other mates of mine and we were at a rooftop sports bar where she was and then I saw her at one point from the corner of the rooftop and she was pointing me out like that to one of her colleagues and and I caught it I think I was the only one on my table so I was like hey I think that waitress <laughs> fancies me and they're like, oh you think everybody fancies you or whatever and I was like whatever <laughs> They just kind of give each other a hard time, so... So full of yourself. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> so she never came around because she, she wasn't our, our waitress or whatever. So eventually, I kind of walked in her direction and caught her in a doorway. Uh, and I said, hey, how are you doing? My name is Roberto and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, hi, I'm Molly. And so she was shy and I was like, hey, you should come by our table at some point. Just, I don't know what I was thinking. So she never did. Eventually we finished hanging out and this is the first and only time I've ever done this. I wrote my name and number down on a piece of paper and I went and gave it to the bartender. She texted me a few days later, just so annoyingly cryptic, like, how was your run? And I didn't have her number. So I was like, good, who is this? And then she asked a bunch of other questions because she knew I was a runner and this and that without saying who she was. Eventually she revealed who she was like, oh, hey. And anyway, we just bumped into each other a few more times on the street randomly and kept talking. And eventually I asked her out um, and then the rest is history. But it's just such a funny thing because for her it was love at first sight. For me it was also love at first sight, but it was really love at second sight because I didn't remember their first encounter. At the time, I definitely remember it vividly now. So yeah, that's, that's how we met. And yeah, I was smitten right away. Right away, I mean, the second time. That's really sweet. Yeah. Molly's very smooth. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so how did you get involved with New York Roadrunners? Once I retired, I thought, okay, well, I want to stay involved in the industry in some capacity, whether it's working with a um, one of the major sports brands or I don't know. The funny thing is I actually applied for this job, and then once I got there in person, they really took a better look at my CV and, and personality and things like that. And it's like, oh, you'd be better for this job. So then I continued applying for that job. And then that other job ended up getting tweaked and this and that because my predecessor happened to be leaving in that interim. So anyway, that's how I got the job that I got, which is great because I've met some quality people, yourselves included. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I got involved with NYR. So what it's what it's been like? I, one joke that I keep hearing uh, that Stuart actually perpetuated. I don't know if you had you you must have said it first because it sounds like a line you would say. It's like, yeah, my goal right now is to get out of shape. Um, and <laughs> so, what's it been like being a recreational runner, being a coach? You've paced a bunch of people. I've been paced by you and has been, and it's been an incredible Everybody experience. Everybody in this room has been paced by me. <laughs> Everybody in this room, 100% success, pace, pacing success. Um, and, you know, recreational running is its own thing. Coaching is its own thing. Pacing people, it's kind of subsumed in coaching and, and recreational running. Um, what's it like 
doing all of that right now. It's been super rewarding because, you know, up to a certain point in, in the narration that we've had thus far, everything is centered around me, you know, from high school to college to obviously the Olympics and professionally. So everything was always centered around me and my wife, Molly, was has been and she's always super supportive. But I always have people reaching out wanting advice, which I could give out easily, but maybe more hands-on coaching, etc. And running, it's a beautiful sport, but the better you get, the more selfish you have to get because you're in your own individual pursuit. And I always knew that there would come a time when I would get over that and I wanted to turn the, in a sense, turn the lens in the other direction. So since retiring and obviously having the fortunate position with NYR, it's been absolutely magnificent because I get to pour my expertise, my experience into other runners. And as we were saying before we came on air, just start to help other people and have them believe in that they're capable of maybe more than they have allowed themselves for various reasons. And I've lived and and gone through all that. So I think sometimes when people find out a bit about my background, it gives my voice a little bit more um, sincerity and, and, and more credence. So people start to really listen and believe it versus if it's just the homeless man down the street, you know, yelling at a street light. Whereas when I, <laughs> I'm giving advice and saying like, no, I, I've been there, like, trust me, I know how you feel and <clears throat> let's take a step out of time or working through a, a rough patch. They, they know like, yeah, this person's speaking from experience. So it's been fantastic. And then on the coach and on, on the pacing side, it's great because everything I say, whether it's hands-on or in a group setting or one-on-one, it's fantastic, but then on the coaching side, that's when you really get to live it with them. You get to execute it, and obviously, Ann and I did the 5K last last year, and you know the weather was not conducive. But I was like, let's just take a swing and see what happens. And you just go through that journey. And and you and I did the um, United Airlines New York City Marathon last year, and you know you went into it a half little marathon. bit, yeah, half marathon. Sorry, mm-hmm. and you know you went into it a little bit banged up, but we still say let's let's just go for it and just sharing that experience is just fantastic because those are just two examples because you guys are in front of me that I would not have ever gotten to experience had it been my running because I would have been out there in the front trying to chase for the win or what have you so it's so great to live other people's journey with them and help them along because as I said everything I, I say when I'm coaching a runner I say to them is is the truth I, I'm not want to use a lot of psychological tricks to try to get something out of them that they don't have just to take a swing or take a gamble if i say i believe that you could run this then it's the truth and it might not be easy to get there but that's the journey and that's where the the special part lies and i've experienced that on my own but now seeing it through a few of the runners that i've trained with and and coach and and you know talked about Neve earlier is it's so rewarding so yeah it's kind of incredible because the the practical advice part like you also paced me at the Al Gordon four miler last year I didn't even remember that um but it was incredible because um most of the race was good it was the last 800 meters that I was like oh what have I got myself into like you should I think if you're racing yeah long distance right so I remember you make the last left turn and then the finish line is I think probably 200 meters or maybe 300 meters to go 
and you used a phrase, you just looked back at me just one glance and said, ignore the pain, because you kind of knew what, and there was something that clicked yeah. in me at that time. And I remember just taking off, despite how crappy I felt at the moment. I thought like that, and it's a slight uphill. I never thought that finish line could come sooner, but somehow there was something left there but there was something external that needed to trigger it. And I have used it pacing other people, and it's kind of amazing how it's worked. And they have told me later that they have used it. So yeah. it's been passed around a lot. That's just one thing, but I'm sure Anne has her own yeah, story I mean, about that. I remember the day of the 5K, it was really, really hot. And they were debating, um, I don't know if it, there was a debate about whether or not it might be canceled or postponed or, or turned make into it, a maybe fun Or a run. fun run or something, yeah. And you and I were texting, and I remember I was thinking about tweaking my race plan and you said something that I think about before every race don't go into a race with preconceived limitations yeah and I'm just like gold I'm like wow of course and I think about that all the time it's like the again getting out of your own way and then the second really valuable piece of advice that you gave me was um you paced me you ended up pacing me for queens there were a bunch of us that were running right. together and the night before the race you texted all of us and you said you know, have a great race, all of you guys. Tomorrow you're going to be great. And just keep in mind that you're all at different points in your running careers and your training cycles. And basically, like, don't compete, don't compare, and all of those. That's what I interpreted from it, and I yeah. just find that really valuable. But that's a really hard thing to do sometimes. I mean, we're not, we're not professional runners, but it's a pretty competitive field here in New York, even the recreational runners. So it's hard not to get into that zone of... Um, you know, even comparing yourself to where you were at the previous 10K or the year before. Uh, so that is something that I think about all the time, that, like, I'm running my own race no matter what happens. Like, you know, I, I try to go in with a race plan and stick to it. Um, and your text just, it just really kind of cleared the way for just let it be. It's going to be what it's going to be, and it's going to be that day, and it's just a day. And Yeah, I mean, it's really important in life, um, but obviously running is again be kind to yourself but really just focus on what you could control and don't worry about the other things because I mean just think about it if you start to focus on what you can't control it's just uh, just gonna snowball and and knowing that we also all are physiologically different mm -hmm. and we're wired differently so some people run well in the heat some people melt some people run better in the cold, et cetera. So, you know, in that race for Queens, it was on the warmer side. And I know Jess uh, Nachman, she was pretty fit, but she just doesn't do well in the heat. And you're fit and you do a little bit better. And But then going in the opposite direction towards uh, the RUN 5K, it was a warm day. And I mean, I'm a summer lover. And even I was like, yeah, it's, it's a warm day. But I don't know, I, I feel like, and you know, you could chime in, I feel like, you learn so much more about yourself on that day because mm -hmm. you pushed that so hard and you were right there. You went out hard, uh, not, you know, not too hard, but you went out hard as if conditions were ideal and you push and you just, every time you break new ground like that, you make a, a kind of a leap physiologically and, and more importantly, psychologically, mm -hmm. where it's like, you know what, I went for it and I didn't die. Like the world didn't yeah. end. Like I didn't hit the goal, but like, I'll come back stronger for it. And that's really what I was hoping for you to get out of that day because I believe that you could do it. I just thought the the deck was stacked against you, but like, let's just go out there and take a swing because you never know. It might be, 
your Olympic track workout or it might be mm -hmm. the actual Olympic race and you don't know that till you get there versus if you're like it's hot or it's raining or this and that and, and you just start to give yourself a bunch of outs and and the the, the reality is that it's almost never going to be ideal race like you can't have your best race but there's always going to be something whether it's weather related or ex other external factors so it's like it's good to just get in that mindset where it's like I'm fit or I'm happy or I'm whatever and I'm just going to go out there and give it a good crack and, and let the course and let the race and let the day once I'm out there dictate what, what the outcome is going to be and don't have that happen before because you know that's why we run the race otherwise Al Grouish would have won Olympic gold in 96 and in 2000 and 2004 because on paper mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. you know that's not how we run the race so that are you in 5k there's a funny little nerdy thing about that can you can you share that story with Roberto because I don't yeah because I don't think he yeah. knows either. So this is really funny. Uh, Ali and I are big running nerds, so we always analyze Get all out. the data after all the data afterwards. And I think it was the following week, maybe a few days later. I should complete the story. That was a, a very pivotal race for me in many ways. One like it just it, going forward gave me a lot of confidence. One of my goals this year was to have the the confidence to start out on pace, and that race really helped me do that going forward. Um, but I did end up walking for about 30 seconds or maybe 40 seconds in that race. So that's the, that's the setup to the story. So Ali and I were looking at the data the following week and I was so confused because I remember feeling terrible. My legs, you know, were jelly and my arms felt like cement and I must, my heart rate must've been out of control, but we're looking at the Strava data. It's like 145 heart rate. I'm like, this is, this can't be, why did I have to stop? It's 145. And then the next day I was like, oh, I gave my watch to Roberto. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all your data. You were just chilling. <laughs> yeah, I, I was redlining. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I wasn't feeling as bad as you were, I'll be honest. But what's amazing about that is obviously you walked, I, I think it was like 41 seconds or whatever it was, but you still ran like... 19 low i yeah. believe i think it was 32 maybe yeah like you you ran you know what would have been one of your best times not that long before so it just showed how far you come where you could have a mini meltdown and literally walk and then start running slowly and then gradually get faster so i don't know i i just think it shows just how powerful you are and how powerful we all are and not everybody is willing or daring enough to take themselves to that edge um and, and it's a it's hard to get there it's hard to practice it and, and believe it because you have to go against your almost your physiology and, and the messages that your body's sending which is like slow down stop we're tired what are you doing and you like, no like unless i physically have to walk or i pass out there's always more out there and that's the thing that i learn in in my career just like learn how to push that how to almost override those messages because no matter who you are professional or novice you get to a point in the races at least there where it's like it's scary there's a point of no return you're like I, I feel terrible i could stop like you start to give yourself outs and and reasons like um you know blah blah blah, blah and and you just get so much better through experience and like yours like i could push a little bit more i could push a little bit more and, and is that little bit more that minute percentage that just makes a big difference between a breakthrough and like oh man i finished and i actually i wish i hadn't slowed down mm. at the hill or whatever you know yeah. it's true the, I, the, I having the experience of 
I didn't spontaneously combust. It was so helpful to me. It's like, oh, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, yeah. dad, that's it. That's not so bad. Yeah. Spontaneous combustion. <laughs> I was always trying to do that in my chemistry class in seventh and eighth grade, somehow. The only place where it's allowed. <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of time out for that <clears throat> in the labs. Uh, so the, the premise our, of our podcast or the theme we are always trying to go for is, at least we think we're going to be going for this, is you know, talk about not going out too fast. Um, and that's kind of a really general term and we've left it like that on purpose because in running we really know, but we think it applies across the board and everything. And I love how we didn't even have to kind of question you on that because just in this specific case, not going out too fast can equate to be kind to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And then so many other things that you said fall right in place with that, right? We do want to do one thing we want to add to the podcast is a training tip section. So I think we already went through a whole like 15 training tips on, <laughs> in this like 15, 30, maybe if I can go back and count. Um, if you had to part one training tip could be and I know it's I'm asking a generic question depends on a lot of variables. But given so many people you have coached and people listening to this podcast are at different parts of their journey, but let's say Roberto Mangi had to tell them one thing, what would that be? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's tough because there's so much, but um, I guess the one would be make your hard days hard and your easy days easy and more emphasis on your easy days easy because no matter who you are, human physiology hasn't changed, whether you're, again, an Olympian or a novice we all have the same physiology again obviously within reason pressing heart rates and this and that but regardless who you are your your gains are made in the recovery so no matter how hard you train it's all for nothing if you don't recover appropriately and again that's where the gains are made and i think too many people especially in this day and age where we have smart watches and all sorts of data and you know you guys said you're you're big nerds on, on that front too many people go out there and like, I need to run today 7.13 per mile pace, or I need to run between zone one and zone whatever. And you just have to learn sometimes to listen to your body. And even if it's planned to be a hard day, if your body is telling you it's tired, then take it easy. Listen to your body, don't listen to a watch. And, and then, you know, with that resting, that'll make it so that you can put more firepower in your hard days. Cause some of the best workouts I've ever had, whether I thought I was going to have a good workout or not, came because when I look back, I was like, oh, yeah, I did take it easy, whether it was intelligently or my body just said, like, all right, shut down. You can't do anything for the next two days. So I would say make your hard days hard and your easy days easy. And don't easy days, if you know the, the route you're going to run, obviously you want to upload it to Strava and things like that. But, like, be okay with just going out there and plotting along like today. I'm gonna run one loop of the park, and if I get passed by 17 grandmothers, that's fine. If I run it in an hour, that's fine. I know I could run it in 30 minutes or whatever, you know, but it's just a recovery day. Make your runs purposeful, because um, it's in doing that that you're gonna be able to really make better gains. And if you're always like trying to run in a way that there's not much of a difference between your workout days and your easy days, because then you're gonna eventually be redlining. So. Loads of other advice, but I guess that's the one I would see because a lot of people make that error. That's a really good one, definitely. We get so tied up in the numbers sometimes, and I try not to do that. And when I was training for Boston last year, I really made the easy day, easy thing really 
important. That's actually how this whole pa- podcast started. It was having our easy, especially Friday. Yeah. It was super easy. And we didn't pay attention to the numbers. We just ran. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you could start your watch and then stop it. That way you have the data, but don't even bother being governed by it. It takes a whole other level of discipline, I think. Yeah. Like being like, yeah, it's, you know, today mm-hmm. is the day I make gains. Yeah. And, and mind you, obviously, I'm, I'm giving a, a bit of sage advice, but none of this came overnight in my, in my experience, in my career. And that's why it's, again, super rewarding working with runners now because some of the trial and error um, lessons I've learned, whether it was over six years or 16 years or whatever, I could hopefully impart that onto runners I work with now and they don't have to take as long to learn it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the service of what I'm trying to do, you know. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a wonderful chat. <laughs> so can you let people know how they can find out more about you? Like, do you have an Instagram account or a website? <laughs> I do. Do you do any cool things on your Instagram account? <laughs> I, I do, do have, have like a GoPro. <laughs> I'm just always confused about I, this. I literally have a GoPro my jacket over there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it depends what people are trying to find me out for. Uh, if they're trying to get a glimpse into my life, my work-life balance, then in, my Instagram is fantastic for that because I kind of just, you know, kind of catalog what I do on a day-to-day. And sometimes it's very much individual. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's family. But, um, yeah. And then, I mean, I, I have my website. Um, which is my name, robertomanje.com. And then all, all my social media is just my full name, Roberto Manje. So you just at Roberto Manje on Twitter or Instagram or robertomanje.com. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing most of my, you know, God's work, as they say, via NYR. So come by the Run Center, and that's probably a good way to get a hold of me. If, if you're local, obviously, if you're not, then hit me up in the cyberspace. <laughs> Well, thank you so much again, just like Ansa. Thank you so much for joining us. We This is our second episode, and I think this is worth listening to on a long run. Yeah. <laughs> on like your 18-miler maybe, because we didn't anticipate it to be this long, but I think the conversation yeah, was yeah. gold, so it's exactly what we're looking for. So that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and yeah, we'll come back to you with episode three. See you next Friday.